TFS episode number 9, Visual Studio Team System 2008 Database Edition. Hi, this is Mickey Gousset from TeamSystemRocks.com. As usual, I want to welcome Paul Hacker from TFS Times. Hi, Paul. Hello. And Martin Woodward from WoodwardWeb.com. Hey, Martin. Hey there, Mickey. We've got some big news this week then, have we? Yes, we do. We're going to get right into it because we have a special guest today. But before I introduce him, I want to share, as Martin said, the big news of the week and let everyone know that Visual Studio Team System 2008 Service Pack 1 is now available. You can go listen to our Episode 6 of Radio TFS if you want to find out more about this, but I definitely encourage everyone to upgrade as soon as you can. So now let's get right on to our special guest. We've had a few emails that have come into RadioTFS at gmail.com with show suggestions, and a topic that many people were interested in is the DB Pro Edition. So we thought we'd have a chat with the man that runs that team, Gert Drapers. Gert is a group engineering manager and lead software architect for the Visual Studio Team System Database Edition product, also known as DataDude. After three years of Ashton Tate, where he was first introduced to SQL Server in 1988, Gert joined Microsoft in 1991. Prior to his current position, he was a member of the SQL Server development team, where he held various positions varying from development to management. He contributed to SQL Server 7, 2000, and 2005. Some of the SQL Server artifacts that he worked on are Bulk Insert, SQL DMO, SQL Query Analyzer, SQL Profiler, DTS, SQL Agent, and SMO. After SQL 2000, he joined the Indigo team, where he designed the System.Transactions API and worked on MSDTC and the Web Services transaction specification. In September of 2003, he joined the SQL Server Customer Advisory team, where he focused on helping customers design and implement the largest SQL Server implementations in the world. In July of 2005, he started the DataDude project, which goal in life is to provide an offline schema development and deployment environment for SQL Server and other data stores. Right now, the team is finishing up on the third release of the product. When Gert is not working, he's spending time with his wife and his three lovely daughters. He loves to cook and makes music. Besides that, he is also serving the SQL Server community by writing tools and articles which are published at sqldev.net and various magazines. So I'd like to welcome Gert. Thank you for taking some time to talk to us this morning. Hi, good morning. How are you guys doing? Doing well today. Thanks, Gert. Glad to have you on the show. Great. Well, it's an honor. Well, I'd like to just kick things off and kind of ask you at a high level, tell, tell us about the database edition, the functionality it provides, what are the kind of the fundamental principles behind it, that kind of thing. Great. Well, when we started this project, as, as, as you already said in the introduction, it's like um, in April 2005, we were talking to some executives inside the company about uh, how Visual Studio does not recognize the database uh, and data tier developer. And so we were arguing about it's like how we should support that and what that should look and how we are going to plug that hole, as we might say. So it was one of the investments that was approved at that point in time. And so, first of all, we were talking about, it's like, who are we going to serve? Who is this product for? Is it for the developer? Is it going to be for a DBA? Um, which actually is like immediately gets to the point, it's like, why are we called data dudes? Because like we couldn't find a real label about how we call the person uh, that is going to use this product. So that's actually where our, our nickname, uh, DataDude, is coming from. 
which sticks, of course, a lot better than the uh, full name in terms of Visual Studio Team System Database Edition. The goal that we, we started talking to DBAs and developers in terms of what are the problems that you're having today. And we found out really quickly that a, a very common theme that we were running into is how do people version uh, their schemas, their database schemas? How are they deploying their database schemas? Uh, we found uh, a whole lot of homegrown solutions for pushing out changes to uh, one or multiple servers. Uh, we found that a lot of people are, are manually versioning um, their database changes, so effectively handcrafting a change script. So change number one, change number two, change number three, all guarded with if statements to check if they're going from one state to the other. So there was a lot of manual labor involved. Um, we found that it's like at the end of the day, those scripts are not very res resilient if there are changes in the target database that people don't expect there would be. So if everything goes according to plan and, and the process really worked, it's like it, it was okay, but as soon as somebody made a change that was going to cause a conflict or wasn't expected, um, all sorts of problems occurred and like DBA spent a lot of time figuring out what to do next. So that made us decide that the problem that we wanted to go and solve was to provide a representation inside Visual Studio that allowed database developers or DBAs or however you want to call the role uh, gave them a opportunity to start managing database schema. Um, so that was the first stake. And at that point in time, we, we went around and said, like, okay, that's good. What does that mean? Um, so we quickly came to the realization that it's like the biggest change that we needed to make was move the DBA from making online changes on the database, allow them to make the changes offline. Uh, hence the representation of the schema being pushed into a source code format. So that was how we, the first steps that we made in terms of the mental model change is really from making an online change where it's like you need to know the order in which you're going to do things. Um, you need to understand uh, what you're going to do, but it's like the biggest thing is like you're doing it in an online fashion. So it's like once you started it, it's like there is no way back unless you roll back the transaction after it's done. And what we wanted to provide was an environment where somebody could make changes in an offline fashion where the truth of the schema is no longer maintained inside the database, in the database. Because that's another thing that we found with dealing with a lot of customers is when we asked, like, where is the, the latest version of your schema? Can you give me the latest version of your schema? And in lots of cases, the answer was like, oh, let me go to the database and script it out for you. <laughs> and so we asked, so you don't have a copy? In some cases, they did. It's like they, they scripted it out and stored it inside source code control. Um, but in, in many cases, even like in my own experience when I was in the SQL Server customer advisory team, it's like I've had many occasions where it's like schema wasn't up to date with what development had. So that was another reason why we wanted to take that approach. So that, that's, that's a very long answer to a very short question, I think. No, that's a great answer. It certainly um, gels with, you know, the way it went, teams I've worked with as well. It's The database was always, you know, the DBAs was, were always like the weak point when we were trying to do Agile 
development. We'd, we'd be trying to push stuff out, but getting changes into the database tier was always complicated. You know, we'd have diagrams that were out of date with actually what what was reality, that sort of thing. So, yeah, that, that's a lot of that we found is like that the data tier developer, the DBA, was sort of uh, kept in the dark or is like was sort of an outsider of the regular application team, the development team. Um, many cases, like stuff was thrown over the wall. It's like, and with the move to agile environments, it, it's more, there is a need to make changes faster, uh, to have daily integrations. How many people are, are using continuous integrations these days? It's like, and since our rough estimate is about 80% of all the business applications gravitate about around some data store. So there is some schema to be maintained. And so you're, you're changing a stateful entity as part of your development cycle, and that requires different measures. Yeah, totally. Uh, well, and, but the problem is the data's, you know, it, it, the family jewels in the data, it's very, it, it's always historically been easy to roll back applications. You just copy, X copy the version back over again onto the servers. But if you mess up that production data, then you've got to do a database restore. And, you know, I, I once um, messed up a database in a production system um, and it took, uh, it took, four men working uh, 24 hour shifts three and a half days to restore the data <laughs> yeah, it was, it was which, a change you didn't want to do you know which is also why you want to separate out those roles right it's like the development team should not be in charge of pushing out the final schema changes you don't want the development team to be held up or held up by uh, the slowness that is required to make those changes on the production database, yeah, which is correct. why you want to decouple the representation. So, so let me ask you, and we may jump around here with some of our questions, but because that's kind mm-hmm. of what we do on this podcast. <laughs> but now that that the Service Pack One of Visual Studio 2008 has been released, what's what's changing for the database edition in that? Anything? Um, so, well, that's going to be a very long answer as well. But it's like, there, there are a couple of <laughs> There are a couple of answers to the question. So uh, for the regular users that are using the released database edition that is part of 2008, um, Service Pack 1 really only contains um, a set of bug fixes and, and some small functional enhancements. Um, so from that point of view, there is not much new under the sun. Um, the biggest feature I think that we added is to uh, propagate variables to the output script when you do a schema or a schema compare interactively and say write to script and you're comparing to a two or three port, uh, part naming convention where you have database variables. Um, that is really the biggest change that, that is in there. Besides that, it's all bug fixes that, that went in there. It, it's about, I think, 40, 45 fixes went into service spec one. Um, what we're doing besides that is like, and what most people will expect is that service spec one out of the box, uh, database edition would support SQL Server 2008. Uh, that is sadly enough not the case. What we're doing right now is we're working on this, uh, new release called Visual Studio 2008 GDR. And GDR is not the Kurt Draper's release, but it's a general distribution release. Um, <laughs> that release is going to target, um, SQL Server 2008. Um, and that's something that we're building on top of Service Pack 1. One of the big things that Service Pack 1 enables is connectivity to SQL Server 2008 because before this, 
it's like Visual Studio 2008 was not able to communicate with SQL Server 2008. Uh, so that had to get addressed first. And on top of that foundation, we're actually building a new uh, release, which is called, internally it's called the GDR, and that's how it also will be named in the future, actually. So that, that's what we're doing. Service Pack 1 for us was, as I said, bug fixes and getting ready uh, for this new release, actually. So just to restate this to make sure I understand it. So Service Pack 1 allows Visual Studio now to talk with SQL Server 2008, but there is no, but the database edition doesn't get to do all of its nice stuff with SQL Server 2008 yet. That's coming in your GDR release in the future. You nailed it. Okay. Yeah, so it, it's like things like um, the SQL CLR projects, which is another uh, piece that my team actually owns, uh, the database designer, the table designer, uh, server explorer, all those interactive functionalities inside Visual Studio, they now work with SQL Server 2008. Um, some other teams added functionalities, so the biggest thing I think that we added from a database perspective is the occasionally connected systems uh, implementation. So this allows you to build occasionally connected uh, applications which use the data sync framework to actually work with SQL Server. And if you have SQL Server 2008, it can actually use the change data capture functionality in there. Um, these kind of things is like, that's what SQL, or Visual Studio 2000 or 2008 SP1 enables. Uh, the big oddball is that we decided that the database edition was not going to support SQL Server 2008. Um, the reason being is that, as you might know, Underneath the cover in the current release, we use something called DesignDB, our local SQL Server database instance. And uh, we use that for a couple of things, but mainly for validation of syntax and as a scratch pad for, for our project system. Uh, what we would have to do at that point in time is like make sure that it's like it works with the 2008 da design database and implement the new syntax. Um, so we could have done that. Um, but what we decided to do instead is that we would roll forward the architectural changes that we were making for the Rosario release. And so what we've done instead is like we're actually going to do um, another one-off release, which will uh, be available in a couple of months, um, where we're pushing down the architectural changes that were actually were planned to come out later to enable SQL Server 2008 and much more actually functionality than we have today. So that's awesome. That's great value for the, you know, for people who bought a Team Suite license or a database professional license in 2008. They're in effect getting the, you know, stuff that was going to come in Rosario for free. Yeah, correct. And it's, it's a bit, a it's bit like, like as well with database, you know, the database edition as a, as a SKU, you know what I mean? It came out after the original parts of Team Suite, and I know lots of organizations that hadn't bought Team Suite licenses were kicking themselves when you know when DB Pro got announced. Yeah, they were correct. So it, it is like what we're doing is like we're we're taking main pieces, uh, a couple of main pieces of functionality that were planned to go into the Rosario release, and we actually rolled them forward in an update of 2008, which will be made available to all the uh, Visual Studio Team System suite owners and database edition owners for free. Awesome. So That's so awesome. let me let me ask. Um you you you've mentioned that there's going to be this this GDR, this general um distribution release of that's going to provide the GERT Draper's release. Let's just call it that from now on. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Um, is is this a a power tool? 
I mean, you know, I know how Microsoft releases power tools for like TFS and, and team system out, outside of bounds. Is this considered a power tool or is that going to be support by Microsoft for it? That kind of thing. So it's, it's a full release. It's officially supported. It's not a power tool. It's an official product release. Um, so not to bore you with internal naming conventions that we have inside Microsoft. So, but the question, so why is this not called a service pack would be your, probably your first question, right? And, okay. and the reason being is that, so we decided that, uh, since this is a huge architectural change that we're making, uh, we're actually having the bits live side by side. So when you install the GDR, um, we, we do not touch the existing binaries of the uh, original DB Pro installation. And the reason why we decided to do this is that people would have a choice to go back and forth if they needed to. Um, so because it's like we're, we're accelerating a huge investment that we made inside the Rosario release, um, we wanted to build in uh, risk mitigations for customers in terms of like, well, I want to stay on the old version. Well, you're entitled to do so. It's like you can keep the old, or the, well, I call it old. Uh, for most people, it's actually brand new. It's like the existing RTM functionality. You can keep using that. So the, the choice to install the GDR is optional, which is why it's called a general distribution release and not a service pack. Um, will it go into a next service pack if that will ever uh, come around? Uh, that decision hasn't been made. Uh, most likely it will, uh, but it's like that, that's an option that we, uh, we still keep open. So the reason why it's called that way is that it's like, it's an optional decision. People opt in to install the GDR on top of their existing system. As soon as you install the GDR, it will, uh, be the entry point for all your database projects. So you cannot have, um, you, you, you still only have one database project inside your solutions. Uh, presence like the dbproj file is only handled by one system at a time. And um, did that did that dbproj file? I mean, is that un- undergone huge changes as part of the GDR? So s- somebody sharing a dbproj file, you know, everybody in the team who was using that would have to use the same would have to use the same version of database edition. Yeah, that's, that's a great question, and and the answer is you're right. It's like as soon as it's like you're you're adopting the GDR, you need to adopt it for your team. Right, or for the, the people working on that project, at least, uh, that for, it's, you, you need to use the GDR. Um, because like there are project changes. The biggest change we made, um, is to move to a provider model. And you would say like, wow, why would I care? Um, so one, one of the things that, that we found is like, so we, we did two releases so far, the 2005 and the 2008 release. And, what we found is that every time SQL Server makes a change, we have to push out a new release. And for example, it's like SQL Server decided in Service Pack 2 to add a new feature called var decimal uh, to add compression for decimal characters, which actually helps SAP customers a lot. Um, in order to, to support that into our system, we actually had to uh, provide a hotfix at that point in time because we didn't want to do a Service Pack, so we did it on hotfix. Um, now, if you look at SQL Server uh, 2008 right now, it's like it adds all sorts of new functionality that we wanted to, that we need to support. And at the end of the day, like users told us, like, we don't want to have to update our development environment because it's like there's a new database in town. 
So what we did instead is like we decoupled the project system from the underlying database it supports. So what we can do now is like as soon as SQL Server releases, for example, a beta of their next SQL Server release, which they just started planning, so that will be a while, um, we can ship a provider with that beta. And now you have support inside your existing development environment, inside your existing database projects for that new database version. If they come out with a service pack and they change functionality, instead of having to re-release the product, we just update the provider underneath the product and uh, give you the new support that's added into the service pack. Ah. Now, so, so that is, is like the reason why we started doing that. Um, so the other thing is like, of course, and the SQL Server customers will, will care less about this, but it's like in the next release of Visual Studio, we will actually open this up and this will become a public provider model. So if you went to the uh, keynote at TechEd in June, uh, you saw that it's like we actually demonstrated IBM DB2 living in the same database project. So what that meant was that like this, the IBM folks went out of their way, created a database provider as well, and plugged that into the database project system. So what that gives them is like a, a a transition that we made is, is to move from a specific SQL Server implementation to a platform-based implementation where people can start to plug in a provider and make it work for their data store. How hard is that provider model to implement? Obviously, I come from you know a cross-platform background. If, if, um, if a particular vendor, or say MySQL, you know, an open source database, um, mm-hmm. would, somebody, would somebody in the community be able to write a provider or is it something that you really really need to you know is it rocket science um so we're we're, we're talking to all the ma- major vendors uh, but it, it, it's like anybody could write a provider now it's, it's not something that um can easily be done i think by everybody there's a certain skill set that will be required which also depends on the type of backend realistically that you're dealing with right the database project, maybe it was, it's a misnomer to call it the database project, maybe it should be called the data store project, because ultimately at the end of the day, the model representation that we have inside the project is not enforcing that it should be a relational store. It could be a dimensional store, it could be in a hierarchical store. So you could think of uh, OLAP support, for example, plugging in, or Active Directory support plugging in, or other databases like MySQL, for example. In order to do that, you need to understand how you want to represent the schema. So we chose to represent the schema in .sql files and have you write SQL. That was our decision, right? Uh, That is not an enforcement of how you should represent things inside the project. Uh, One could decide if that matters, right? For example, OLAP uh, represents things in XML, right? It's like a cube definition is, is an XML blob. Um, right, right. So, therefore, your source can be an XML file, which makes it a lot easier to parse and validate. So, if you look at what the biggest investment is in writing a provider, is how do you support and understand the language? So, we have, um, I don't know how many people in my team, like we have two people in my team that are full-time working on writing this and updating the SQL Server parser. Right? And as a result, it's like there is now a public Microsoft SQL Server parser that can be used as a result 
to actually parse.sql files or SQL syntax files and rip it apart. And that's a large part of our system. So that that is, is what comes with the complexity of writing a provider. We will actually make a um, make two providers available uh, to the community once this uh, goes public. Is one provider that we're going to make public is the SQL CE provider. All right, so it's like uh, we are going to have a sample provider that shows you how to write a provider for SQL CE. Now, SQL CE is a relatively simple database. All right, it only supports tables and indexes. Um, but so we added a, a little functionality called scripts. So you can sort of write some T-SQL and parse the T-SQL inside script and validate that it actually works against that table system. And then we're, we're having a little XML provider that sort of creates an arbitrary um, XML data store based on a sort of data set style implementation just to show people how they can do something else with it as well. Uh, so Yes, it could be written by other people. I think there will be community projects for those data stores that have an open source or community background. Um, and but it, it's like it requires some knowledge of how languages works, how parsers works, etc. Great, that's fantastic, though. But it's you know that extensible. We've kind of talked about the GDR a little bit as far as as you know it's going to provide the SQL Server 2008 support that kind of thing. Can you tell us some of the other things that are going to be in there that that like you've mentioned a couple of them like the design DB that kind of stuff or but can you tell us some of the other things that might be in the GDR that people are going to be interested in that they should be looking for? Well, that's we're, we're just uh finished up CDP 16 and let me tell you actually so the main things that that would change. So you already alluded to the fact that about design DB. So it's like uh, design to be is, is gone. We don't no longer require a local database instance to host your project system. Um, people found that really limiting and it cost us some internal pain as well. So what we did instead is we moved it to a real model based implementation. Think a DSL. So what happens right now is that if you load your project, we take your source code and load it into a model and that model is that that's what we work on. That's what our tools work against. Um, that is what is being used by build and deploy, et cetera. So that, that's the, the first big change. That change enabled us to make a very important other change, which is the decoupling of build and deploy. One of the questions we got from almost every customer is, today if you build, um, you need to have a connection to the target database in order to generate the diff scripts to, so we can in, create an incremental diff representation to update your target store. So on itself, they like that functionality and that's what they need. Um, however, they did not want to have that um, restriction at build time because now the output of build could not be reused. So what they asked us is like, can you provide us with a deployment mechanism that the output of build, I can take that use some little installer or deployment utility to actually push out this change on an arbitrary system. So what we did instead is build will now produce a single file output of your database project. And that file is called the DB schema file. It's an XML-based representation that contains everything in your database that you want to have. So that's the blueprint of your schema. Now you can take that file give it to the deployment engine, 
either using the Visual Studio IDE, but more importantly, what we did in CTP16 is we added a command line version called VSDB CMD that allows you to deploy and reverse engineer your databases on an arbitrary system without having Visual Studio installed. So what this enables is that you can now take this, this DB schema file, put it on a thumb drive, copy VSDB CMD and two assemblies on it, walk up to a server, stick in your thumb drive, and deploy your database. <laughs> awesome. Cool. That is so awesome. That was magic. So, <laughs> so, so to, to complete that, right, so how many times did you guys have, have a discussion with, with a customer or a user, and they said, it's like, oh, I didn't change the schema. Yeah. It's, it's like, it's just <laughs> that you left it. All right, ever had that? Oh, uh-huh. yeah. So what we did also in, 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 in the same command line tool, you can now ask the user, say, it's like, here you have this little command line tool, walk up to your server and generate me a DB schema file. So he does that, he emails you the DB schema file, and now you can open it up in schema compare and compare his DB schema yes. file with your project or your DB schema <laughs> file. And you can actually tell him interactively while you're on the phone with him, that this is the difference between your schema and his schema. <laughs> That's fantastic. Now, instantly, I'm thinking of um, like not we're not get, you know redistribution rights and stuff. If we'd be able to include that command line as part of our setup utility, you know, if you were if you were doing some sort of application, but the command line utility plus those two assemblies is a free redo. Oh, you beauty! <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> this is great. Yeah. Because that is the whole point what people told us. It's like, they say, like, this is great technology. We love it, uh, but it's not accessible enough. Uh, we need it to be available for those people. It's like, I, I cannot have Visual Studio installed inside the firewall, for example. Uh, my yeah, company no does not allow that. Um, I need to be, I'm a consultant, right? I have it on my notebook. Um, I'm using it to develop. I'm checking in and checking out. But once I'm getting into the data center, uh, I'm limited to command line tools. Uh, so this is why we actually said, like, first we thought, it's like, we can get away with Emma's build. All right, this is sort of the approach that we took in the first release. Like we said, well, we have a set of Emma's build tasks. But Emma's build still requires too much um, infrastructure to be present. So we talked to people and talked and talked, and it's like, no, 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 this is really not the right answer. It's like, we want this to be a command line tool, stick it on a thumb drive, and create the deployment. So, so to, to continue on that, so that's something we just added in CDP 16. Uh, to step back a little bit, it's like, what is what else changed? So in, in the GDR is one of the big things that we learned from the V1 and V2 customers is all the stuff that they wanted to configure inside their project system. So today in the, in the project system, you will find that there are there are database settings inside the project. There are people create variables. They want to make them configuration dependent. Um, but there is, there is no possibility for people to reuse certain settings between project systems. So what we did is like we broke out things that people wanted to reuse. For example, database settings. If a company has a set of rules or standards about database settings, what they can now do is create a single file representation of their database settings called the database settings file and share that between all their database projects. So this way people can enforce 
standardization of their settings. That way they can also enforce standardization between the database settings used on their QA and their development and their production environment and not mix and have to mix and match those inside the project system. Right. So what we did is we broke out a lot of those settings to make configuration and, and abstraction in those environments a lot more easy to do. Can you do diffs between them as well, Gert? Because, again, the problems we've had is settings would be subtly different in production than in QA or something like that. So the, 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 if, you, if you're just looking at, can I just compare those two uh, files? It's like they're XML files. So it's like at that point in yeah. time, you're okay. at that level. No, well, that's uh, good you're doing a depth comparison. Uh, schema compare will actually start to compare some of those settings as well. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was like we're, we're moving into a world where it's like we're more database settings are also being compared. Um, the other thing that we did is like we broke out the project system into two logical project systems. One is called a server project. The other one is called a database project. And so this allows a user to create a project system that just represents the things that are server level. This is the SQL server specific thing, of course. Uh, because an Oracle database would not have this concept because it's one one daemon is one catalog and mm -hmm. it, the settings goes with it. In SQL Server, you have this multi-database aspect. So you have master and user databases. And certain objects live in master and certain objects live in your user database. Uh, now, the problem is that you can have multiple user databases referencing those server objects. So we created for SQL Server the logical separation of a server project and a database project. So now again, it's like you can have a standard set of server objects that you reference for your production, your QA, or your development environment that are being referenced from your user database. So that is another optimization we made. Um, the next one is that we had a lot of customers that asked us, like, we want to be able to share implementation between projects. I have a database over here, a database project over here, and there are tables in that project and I want to share those tables in this other project that I have. But if I update that one project, those tables should change over there as well. So we call that a partial project, and that allows you to share implementation between projects without having to transfer ownership in source code control rights. So the parent project always controls the rights to those files. So effectively, that's what you would call in C++ and includes files. So you can include ah, that work? from one project. <laughs> so how, how does that actually work? I mean, would you... So it's not part of the SLN file of a project structure. It's not, you know, it's not under that in hierarchy, but it contains Correct. like a pointer to a different to a file in source control or something, does it? Yeah. So what happens is that if, if you look at uh, the Iron Python implementation, actually, they're, they're <laughs> the only ones that have something similar. Uh, it's like you go you go to our project system. Say you, you're in the parent project and you want to share five tables. So you you highlight those five tables and then you say export partial project. And what that creates is a new file called the dot files file. And in that dot files file are nothing more than pointers to those files. So that is the set of files that the parent wants to export. Now on on the child project you go and say import partial project. And you point it to the include file, to the .files file. And now it will include those files in the project on a read-only fashion. Now, since those files are not in your project hierarchy, right, you don't have source code control rights. The source code control rights reside mm -hmm. with the parent project. Mm -hmm. well, so that's well, that a very simple way of doing implementation sharing. 
Well, it it sounds like there's a ton of cool stuff coming in the GDR. Let me interrupt with a couple of quick questions um, to to kind of to start wrapping this up for us, which is when do I get this? I mean, I know right now there was a CTP 15 that was the July CTP, but when, when do I get my hands on the product? Can you tell us anything, or is that still under wraps? No, no, no. It's like we're we're, we're pretty. Um, of course, plans can change, but it's like so we we did. Uh, July CTP on July 17, we did CTP 16 on uh, August 18, right? Uh, so that that is just released right uh, during this broadcast almost. Um, then we're we're moving into our C mode uh, next month. So around, uh, if I'm not mistaken, about around 9:15 we should be moving in release mode. And then it's like the goal is to have a production uh, release available at PDC. Wonderful. And that is for the last week of October. And so unless uh, we start... Yeah, it depends how the RCs go. You know, depends what the quality comes, what customers say based on the RCs. It's like, so uh, the team is really working their nuts off, as we say. (laughs) It's like to get everything going and and making sure that the la- all the feedback that we received like we want to do is ctp every four weeks so we did july uh, june july august uh we'll do rc which is no longer a ctp is like we're in rc mode at that time in september and then like in october is like we should be able to wrap this up well, certainly, if we, um, you awesome. know, if we were looking at implementing this in a company if we had in our heads by the end of the year then we should be safe oh yeah yeah that's fantastic. Yeah, no, no problem there. It's like end of the year. It's like you, you will have your production release. Wonderful. Well, Gert, I really want to. I want on behalf of Martin and Paul. I really want to say thank you for taking the time to to talk to us today. I know you're a really busy guy, and we really appreciate you giving all our listeners this good information. No problem. It was a pleasure, and it's like I hope uh, you're going to check out the product and provide us as much as possible feedback so we can make it even a better product. Most definitely. And we'll provide links out to to Gert's blog and to where you can at least get the latest CTP with the show notes. But I want to thank him and his team for all the hard work they've put in this product. I mean, there really isn't anything else out there like this. And it's cool to see all these new releases as features that are available, you know, this quickly rather than having to wait for the next big version of Visual Studio. So like Gert said, go out there, download the, the GDR, the CTP test it out for yourselves. Let them know what you like and what you don't like. And I want to also remind you, don't forget, if you have any other questions or comments or show suggestions, please email us at radiotfs at gmail.com. You can also subscribe to the podcast at radiotfs.com. Thank you, and we'll see you next time. 